If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, the passage for this morning is printed in the insert of your bulletin, and I'd invite you to follow along there. For those of you who may be visiting this morning, uh, again, welcome. I do see some visitors. We're glad that you're here. Um, We have started a series, a sermon series, uh, a few weeks ago called uh, A Life, the Life of a Pilgrim, and you can see that on your bulletin cover, um, that title there. And we began a couple weeks ago uh, by looking at Psalm 137 and uh, a pilgrim's place. Reminding ourselves that in a sense we are not at home. We are exiles. We who are in Christ are on a journey. And therefore, uh, we are to look and think differently than those around us. And last week we talked about the pilgrim's promise and power from 2 Corinthians 6. And we were reminded that On this journey, we are not alone, that you are the temple of the living God, both in an individual sense as the Spirit of God resides in you who call on the name of Jesus, and in a corporate sense as we gather, as we encourage one another in the Lord, the Spirit is here in the communion of saints for our encouragement, for our growth. Well, today we begin what I'm calling the Pilgrim's Progress. Many of you are familiar with the book written by that title, John Bunyan, speaking of the journey of Pilgrim. I speak, it, I speak of it in a little bit of a different sense. I'm speaking about the Pilgrim's progress in terms of not progress to the cross, but progress after the cross. Of course, the cross is always something we move towards. We never leave the gospel behind, and I've said that over and over again to you, but I'm talking about pilgrim's progress in the sense of sanctification, in the sense of Christian growth. The Bible talks a lot about ways that we're supposed to grow and move towards holiness and move towards the character of God. And as we do that, we're going to be doing that We're going to be looking at the pilgrim's progress for the next several weeks. As we do that, we recognize that by God's common grace, there are a lot of good people in the world. And so we're not going to talk about things that, we're not going to talk about things that would characterize good people in the world. We're going to talk about things that set us apart, sins, we so easily focus on sins that don't make headlines, but there are a lot of people, unbelievers, non-Christians who aren't making headlines in their sin. Now, I wanted to talk, and I've told many of you this before, I want to talk about more refined sins, more respectable sins, as Jerry Bridges calls them. Jerry Bridges, Christian author, has written a very helpful book on this saying there's a certain set of sins that we even in the church seem to tolerate. We accept them. We may even struggle to view them as sins. And so Jerry Bridges' book is just one of many resources that I'm going in terms of content, in terms of topics, as we look at several refined, respectable sins, such as materialism, such as self-control, such as contentment. But today, today we start with an epidemic of sorts in our world. 
One that I don't even think I have to ask if you struggle with. It's the sin of worry. The sin of anxiety. If you take all of the Christian traits that are either talked about or explicitly modeled in the New Testament, you would find that the top three in regards to frequency are love, humility, and number three, trust. And what's the opposite of trust? It's worry. And so we turn to one of the most familiar passages on this issue of anxiety, of worry, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. And so listen as I read Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through the end of the chapter. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where, leaves, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not, are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. I've entitled this sermon, Peace. Peace in an Age of Worry. And I'm wondering this morning if I really even need to make this case. That we need peace in an age of worry. I don't think I do. 
We live in a world of what ifs, of whys, of if onlys. Just think about your life. We have, there's all sorts of forms that worry and anxiety takes. Think about finances. Do we have enough saved for our children's education? Will we have enough to retire when we want to retire? Will we have enough to pay next month's bills? Maybe it's relationships. Will I ever get married? Will things ever get better between us? Maybe it's your health. Will I ever get better? Will this ever end? What is that mysterious spot on my arm? Maybe it's your future. Will I get that job? Will I be able to keep the job that I have, that I love? And it trickles down to the very mundane. My sister left a voicemail. She said that she needs to talk to me. She never calls me during the week. What does she need? What's wrong wrong? What's happened? You see, everything from low-level worry that manifests itself with butterflies in our stomach and a racing heart and sweaty palms occasionally to high-level worry that manifests itself in profound ways in our lives as we lie awake at night thinking and worrying as we have bouts with depression as we're paralyzed to live our lives the way God wants us to live them. We all worry. At some level, we all worry. And though I recognize this morning that there are some here that have a propensity towards this kind of thing, it's a human problem. It's a problem of our creaturehood. We don't know everything. We can't control everything. And frankly, that's just difficult to deal with at times. I know if you watch the evening news, if you don't watch it, don't start. Because the evening news just fuels our worry. Tells us too much about this broken world that we live in that's out of our control. And then suddenly we're asking ourselves, will I be safe if I go to this movie? Am I going to be safe on that plane trip? Am I going to be safe eating at that restaurant? See, worry is a problem. Worry is an epidemic. Maybe I don't need to make that case, but I just did. But there's something else I want to say about worry before we kind of jump in. It's common among all men, but everyone wants to fix it. Everyone wants peace in an age of worry. Not just us sitting in this room. Now, if you go on Amazon.com, you find the worry cure. Seven steps to stop worry from stopping you. And for kids, you have Wilma Jean the worry machine. If you have a smartphone, you have the worry box app where you can take your worries and lock them electronically behind the worry box. (laughs) Or there's the worry bottle, where you can take your worries and post them online, send them off to a distant land that someone might read and encourage. You see, the world, the world wants to fix worry too. And so how, how do we 
how do we cure? When we can't cure, we cope. And how do we cope? We cope by distracting ourselves. We numb ourselves. We adopt the island mentality. Don't worry. Be happy. Hakuna Matata, what a wonderful phrase. Friends, the Bible, God's Word gives us such a better path. Many in our world would love, love to have this peace. This peace that is yours. And yet few take it. And this is in part why we begin here. Because in a world of uncertainty, in a world that's uncontrollable, this, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is gold. This teaching from Jesus is is salty. It's light uncovered for us. We need to own it. We need to live it. We need to proclaim it. It's who we're called to be. It's who we are. You see, when our friends say to us, don't worry, it's an encouragement, right? It's an encouragement. It's kind words in difficult times. But when Jesus says to His people, to His followers, here in Matthew 6, do not be anxious about your life. When the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, it's not just encouragement. It's a command. It's not optional. And therefore, to do otherwise is, yes, sin. Maybe we should begin by simply asking the question, what is worry? I mean, what are we talking about when we talk about worry? Well, worry is not being concerned. Jesus is not saying you can't be concerned about things. He's not saying you can't proactively plan in anticipation of things that you might think occur. When Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious about your life, He's not calling you to inaction, quite the contrary. He's calling you to action in the opposite direction. You see, worry is tied to faith. And that's why he says in verse 30 of this passage, O you of little faith. Therefore, the opposite of worry is trust. The opposite of anxiety is trust. And that is what Jesus is calling you to this morning. He's calling you to trust. I heard it said this way this week, worry is misplaced faith. Worry is the true fruit of unbelief. And because of this, because of the fact that worry is tied to faith, this is something that you cannot do without the Gospel. It's something you can't do without embracing Jesus. And so if, you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then you're bound. You are bound to yourself. You are enslaved to the unknown of your circumstances that are outside of your control. But I have the privilege of proclaiming to you this morning that there is hope. That you can be free. Of course, I know I'm not speaking to merely those who don't know Jesus. I'm speaking to my brothers and sisters who know and love the Lord. And yet I know that you struggle. I know that you need to be reminded that you are free. And so two promises 
probably more we could look at. But just this morning, two promises from this passage lie before us. And they both have to do with being set free. Jesus wants to reshape the way that we look at our world. And He knows that at one point or another, maybe even presently and powerfully here this morning, that we have been trapped We have been gripped. We have been enslaved by our anxiety, by our worry. But follower of Jesus, as we sang just a few minutes ago, the rock of ages is our double cure. He's cleansed us from guilt, but also from the power of sin. So the first truth I want us to look at this morning is this. It's a little bit lengthy, kids. I'll repeat it a couple times. Jesus sets you free from worry. Jesus sets you free from worry by making you and reminding you that you are sons and daughters. Jesus sets you free from worry by making you and reminding you that you are sons and daughters. See, in other words, when we don't keep before our hearts that God is our heavenly Father, we worry. We become anxious. Jesus' sermon on this Sermon on the Mount, where this passage that we looked at this morning is found. It's just part of a long discourse that we'll eventually study together. But there are a lot of hard words. Those of you who have read the Sermon on the Mount before, a lot of hard words in this passage. Words like, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Words like, turn the other cheek. Words like, pray, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. But if you notice in the Sermon on the Mount, if you just flip back one page in your Bibles, laced throughout this sermon, throughout this discussion, is this promise that you are my sons and daughters, that I am your Father. It begins in chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jump down to verse 16. Let your light shine before men that they may give glory to who? To your Father who is in heaven. Verse 45. So that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. Verse 48. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 6, verse 1. You'll have your reward from your heavenly Father. Verse 4 of chapter 6, your father sees what is happening in secret. He will reward you. Chapter 6, verse 8, your father knows what you need. Verse 9, so pray our Father. Verses 14 and 15, forgive as your father forgives you. Verse 18, again, your father sees what is done in secret. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but Jesus says over and over again, You have a father. Your sons. Your daughters. 
And then just two times in the passage I just read, and and then it continues on into chapter 7, Jesus is making the point. He is reminding us of the fatherhood of God because He knows that it's foundational to being free from anxiety. It's foundational to being free from worry. When we forget who God is, we forget who we are. And God doesn't want us to forget either. Those of you who know me and my family know that my mom and dad are here this morning. It's good to have them with us. Some of you are asking, yeah, why isn't he preaching? And I hear you. I wanted to ask him, but he's, he's on vacation this week. He, he had the week off, and so I didn't want to, uh, I wanted to give him the week off. You know, the presence of my earthly father here makes me a little bit anxious. Just to confess my sin in the pulpit. Some of you might recognize why that might make me a little anxious, my father being here, because he does for a living what I'm doing now. He's been doing it for 30 years. He does it much better than I do it. And that's something I just have to deal with. But that's not the reason that I point out the fact that he's here. I bring it up because his presence in my life, my presence in his life, has mostly created not what I'm feeling this morning, but just the opposite. For 18 years in his house, what did I have? I had security. I had peace. I knew that I was loved. I knew that I was cared for. And I know that that's not the experience of everyone in this room, and I grieve for that fact, but I know it's the experience of some, that your earthly fathers have given you a beautiful reflection of what our Heavenly Father is to us. And what he reminds us of this morning, Psalm 103, 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. You know, when I was in his house as a young boy, I knew two things. I knew, one, that my father loved me and cared for me. And number two, I knew that he had the power to do what he desired to do. It wasn't love that was powerless. It was love that had control, that had a hold of the reins of my life. Jesus says the same thing to us here this morning. First, God's love and desire is to care for you. Jesus uses this argument, how much more to make this point? The birds, the flowers, the grass, all these things are temporary, all these things are secondary, and yet they are clothed, they are fed, they are cared for. And here you sit, a creation of the Almighty, but an image bearer of the triune God, rational, creative, responsive, given a soul that would last forever. And in all your mess, in all your baggage, in all your limitedness, you are God's delight. Many of you know that last week, the end of last week, that I was in a presbytery meeting, as was my father and mother, as was Ed Vole's. Thank you for your prayers. I know many of you are praying for the work of the regional church as we gathered. I thank you for that. One of the highlights for me in Presbytery is the worship service where we as pastors who do this week in and week out 
get to simply be where you are and sit and hear God's word proclaimed to us and hear God's promise reminded to us and and come forward and receive the sacrament ourselves. So Thursday night, we had a beautiful worship service. And at that worship service on Thursday night was this text. It really ministered to me, Isaiah 43, verses 1-7. through Listen as I read. Now thus says the Lord, He who created you, He who formed you, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are Mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. The flame shall not consume you. Why? Because you are precious in my eyes, says the Lord. You are honored. And I love you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. And we were reminded that you, that, that, that I, that I am loved, that I am precious in His sight, that He knows what I need. He knows what I don't have. He knows what I desperately want that I think I need. So thinking about myself not as a son now, but as a father of five, beautiful children, if my children ever came to me and said, Dad, I don't trust you. I don't believe that you love me. I don't believe that you can take care of me. How would that make me feel? It'd be an affront to me. Me who is so, at least I hope, intentional about telling my kids that I love them as the Lord has proclaimed His devotion to you and His love for you. And one of the points, one of the quotes from John Owen that was mentioned on Thursday evening was this. John Owen says in his book, Communion with God, the greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. Let me repeat that. The greatest sorrow and burden that you can lay on the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to Him is to not believe that He loves you. Think about that. That's powerful. In Christ, you are a son, you are a daughter. And your worry, your anxiety separates you from the Father. And so, Jesus calls you this morning to believe that He loves you. To trust Him with everything Because it's not just that He loves you. Remember I said two things. Not just that He loves you, but that He also has the power to change your circumstances. He's not powerless in that love. No, He ordains your circumstances, right? 
And that's where all these robust words that we as Presbyterians, that we as Reformed folk love to spout, and they're rich words, sovereignty, providence, the decree of God. And I've talked about some, we talked about this in the book of Ruth. Heidelberg Catechism 1, He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without who? The will of the Father. And then in the question on providence, leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things come to us, not by chance, but from where? From His fatherly hand. You see, worry is looking for control. Worry is looking for control. Worry says, if I imagine the worst, then I will be prepared. And your Heavenly Father says to you this morning, you don't need to be prepared. You don't need to be prepared. In the grandest events of life, down to the very mundane moments of your existence. I'm losing my hair. But I don't need to worry. Because every hair that falls from my head is ordained by my Heavenly Father. Jesus says, believe it. You are sons and daughters. Be free. Be free from worry. Well, this is the first promise for us, and really the main promise I wanted to focus on this morning. But as I read this week, we have this promise of God's care, but we don't have a promise, and this is important to say, we don't have the promise of a carefree life. We have the promise of God's care, but not the promise of a carefree life. Which brings me to the second truth that I want to look at just for a few minutes, and it's this. Ready, kids? Jesus sets you free from worry by giving you a new affection. Jesus sets you free from worry by giving you a new affection. You see, Jesus in this passage of Matthew 6 not only focuses on the qualitative difference between you as a creature who lives with your existence and your circumstances outside of your control, and Him as a Heavenly Father who loves you and can do all things. But He also focuses on the kind of stuff that the world holds dear and that which really matters to the follower of Christ. See, the gauntlet was thrown down in verses 19-24. through Who will be the master of your life? There can only be one. You can serve yourself through money and through the power that money might wield for you, the comfort that money might give, the pleasure that money might satisfy, but it's a treasure that will one day rot, that will one day be gone. Or, you can serve God the eternal treasure in and of Himself, the One who is building a kingdom that can never fade, and the One who is storing up an inheritance for you that will last forever, that is secure. You see, it's a matter of perspective, Jesus says, that reflects the state of our hearts and the bent of our hearts. 
Following Jesus demands that you see that there is more to this life. More than your clothes, more than your food, more than your pleasure and comfort, more than your reputation, more than your legacy, and yes, even more than your health, and more than your life. I just read this morning that Another Christian pastor, this time an American citizen who lives in Idaho, who had gone to Iran to do some humanitarian work, had been, has been arrested and now just this morning has been sentenced to eight years in prison in Iran for proselytizing in the Muslim state of Iran. Meanwhile, his wife and young children remain in Idaho pleading for the State Department to cry for his release. Even our lives are not ours. And I worry about what? We'll talk more about this in coming weeks, but I read a quote about materialism that tethers our hearts to the earth. Materialism tethers our hearts to the earth. And it does so not just in our focus and our pursuit, but in our worry. When we're enslaved to ourselves, our lives are this race on a treadmill that never really gets anywhere. We end up anxious the whole way because we never get anywhere. Jesus says the Gentiles those who are outside of God's promise, those who are not God's people, they run after these things. You don't run after these things. You're called to be distinct. You're called to be different. You're called to reflect peace. And so embracing the good news of Jesus and following Jesus gives you, God's people, a new perspective a new affection, a new ambition. And so he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, all these peripheral things will be added to you. And how do we do that? What is the path to that realignment of thinking? That realignment of our hearts? Well, in addition to believing, to really believing and digesting and meditating on the fact that you are sons and daughters of a heavenly Father, the Bible also says that we need to live our lives in this dependence, in this posture of dependence and thankfulness. Everything I am, everything I am and everything I have is for my good, from a Father who loves me. And so I will give thanks. And I will cry out to Him. It's where those other passages, familiar passages on worry come into play. 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on Him. Because He cares for you. And then Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, grab a hold of these two promises. That Jesus sets you free from worry by reminding you you're a son and a daughter. And Jesus sets you free from worry by giving you a new affection, a new perspective. And who is our model for this? Of course, it's the Lord Jesus. We sit here, we live here, often living at least mentally in, in Tomorrowland. Right? We want to live in the future. We want to know the future. We want to see the future as if, as if if we saw the future, we could handle what we see. What would you do if you found out what was going to happen tomorrow? If you knew the events of next week? You probably wouldn't get out from under your covers. That's probably what would happen. You'd probably just stay in bed. But think about the Lord Jesus. The one who came to earth who knew the will of the Father. A will that would crush Him and that would turn His back on Him. And yet He was never anxious. He never worried. Oh, He cried out. He cried out with agony. He prayed and pleaded that there might be some other way. But he didn't sin. Instead, he entrusted himself. He entrusted himself to his Father. The one he knew he could trust. Even with a gruesome, terrible, dreaded death. That was based upon the love of the Father and how much he knew the Father loved him, based upon the focus of his life and what he had come to do. It's the same thing we're called to this morning. Peace in an age of worry. Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. It's, It's beyond possible. It's needful for the pilgrim such as us. May God give us grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reminder from your word. Great promises for us this morning. Promises that I suspect weren't new to many hearts in this room, and yet promises so quickly discarded in that time of anxiety, in that time of worry, in that mundane moment of stress and panic. Father, would you by your Spirit embed these just a little bit deeper today. That the roots might grow a little bit farther down into that rich soil that draws from the living water. The living water that is Jesus, that is His Word. Father, we thank You for Your love for us. Give us grace to love You, to trust You. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.